Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode, a very special episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. My name is Christian Napier, and I'm really excited for our next guest, Jill Andrews, who is the first volunteer that we've had on this podcast. And I'm so excited to get this different perspective of organizing the games and delivering the games. So Jill, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we dive into the memories of Salt Lake 2002, why don't you just give us a little bit of information about yourself? Okay. Um, well, I'm, let's see, I'm, I'm in the Houston area now. I've moved all around the country. I was living in Nevada at the time of the Salt Lake game, so it wasn't too bad of a drive to go from uh, my area, just east of Reno, over to Salt Lake. And uh, I was there for three weeks. I have uh, been in a lot of different sports, equestrian, skiing, shooting, um, so a lot of the sports played into the Olympic theme and I've always watched the Olympics. I wish I could have been an Olympian, but another path. Yeah. I think a lot of us uh, think that we would like to have been an Olympians in, in a past life. I want to come back to Houston. So I was just talking with someone a few moments ago who was in Houston last week and was talking to me about, uh, some of the challenges and the devastation that everybody was facing because of the extreme cold that you had a few weeks ago. Ah, the ice apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. Well, it hit different people in different ways. Um, the area that I live in, we've got a house that was just built and we moved in six months ago. So it's the latest and greatest. And we didn't have any problem, but there was a lot of people in my daughter's neighborhood who lives about 30 minutes away and they had no heat, no power, no water. So there was a lot of different degrees about what happened. And some people are still waiting for the plumbers to get out and totally get them back into the water game. But for the most part, we're doing okay now. Wow. It just sounds incredible. Uh, yeah. He was telling me about a gentleman that he was working with down there who lives in a more rural area who had a well and the well froze and he still doesn't have water to his property and they may have to dig another well. So, yeah, um, my heart goes out to everybody who suffered there in Texas. And I'm grateful to hear that people are, for the most part, coming through it OK. And I appreciate you joining us there from Houston. Certainly. Now, let's uh, let's go back in time to Salt Lake. So you mentioned that you've been involved in a lot of different sports and a lot of different events. So. Why don't you give us a little bit about your journey to volunteering for Salt Lake? I mean, you mentioned that you were you were living in Nevada at the time. I mean, that's a bit of a haul to come and work and do volunteering in Salt Lake. So why don't you give us a little bit of the background that you have with volunteering in general and then uh, um, the journey that you took to become a Salt Lake 2002 volunteer? Certainly. Well, it actually started once upon a time while my husband was still in the Air Force and we were living in Florida. And they announced that the 96 games would be in Atlanta. I said, oh, man, I got to go. <laughs> so I, uh, the, the application was quite lengthy. Luckily, Salt Lake wasn't nearly as long. But I got accepted, and I volunteered at Atlanta for 10 days. And I had such a good time and met so many wonderful people. I said, I got to do this again. So here we are moving out to Nevada. 
And lo and behold, Salt Lake's going to have the games. And I've never been to Salt Lake before in my life. I think I've been through the airport. But it's only a six-hour drive. Well, I got the bug, and I filled out an application just as soon as I could and sent it off. And I did get accepted as a volunteer to be a snow stomper on the ski hill. My sister and I both applied and got the job. But about two months beforehand, I think it was two months, there was a computer glitch and we lost our assignments. Luckily, we were able to come back through and they asked us if we would be interested in being transportation, working with the athletes to and from the village to the venue. And we, of course, said, hey, if it's the Olympics, we're going no matter what. And so I did apply and got accepted as a volunteer uh, for the athlete drivers. Um, I will note there are there are four classes of people that work at the games. Primarily, there's the red uniform people, which is your medical corps, your green uniform people, which is your security, your yellow, which is your ticket takers and ushers, and then there's the blue people. And the blue uniform people work directly with the athletes in one capacity or another, either at venues or at any other athlete area, such as the village. And I was lucky enough to become a blue person again. Wow. All right. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit here. So maybe you can give us a little bit, uh, a sense of the timing. So you, so you're in Nevada. When was it that you initially applied, you had interest and initially applied to become a volunteer? How, how far before the games, was it a couple of years, a year, six months? You know, what was the time period like when you first submitted the volunteer application? Yes. Uh, normally the Olympic games are named to a host city seven years before the actual games. So for 2002, I think they made the announcement in 1995, which was right about the time I was moving out here to Nevada, out to Nevada. Um, still getting the moving chalk over from Nevada to Texas, but about seven years. And as soon as they opened it up, advertised that they will be taking uh, applications for volunteers and there was an Olympic site uh, then I started the application process. I initially followed the site's email and stated that I would like to be a volunteer. And then it began a discussion between the Salt Lake organizers and me through emails and letters. Um, they sent me the actual physical written application, which I mailed back. And they like to know what kind of sports you have been involved in, what level of competition have you been an official at a sport? Because they basically are looking for people who have a little bit of knowledge in the sport and could therefore contribute because they're familiar with it. And so we started sending back the applications and then they followed up with emails. And then there was, it got closer to the games. Uh, like I said, I, I literally lost my assignment, but got another one luckily in time. And Two months before the games, there was a hosting event uh, for training. And since I knew I was going to be an athlete driver, I came to Salt Lake City and they would put about eight or nine of us in a van and we'd start driving some of the routes to familiarize ourselves with how to get to the various venues. 
and how, you know, the, to work in the transportation plaza and get around the village and get comfortable with interacting with the athletes and staff that way. And once we had done that, then about two weeks before the games, they had the actual uniform issue and I had to, it was a long day. I left Reno uh, Fallon actually about six in the morning, took seven hours to get to Salt Lake City. It took about another two hours to go through the uniform issue and then drive back to Fallon, Nevada. <laughs> so it was a very long day, but worth every minute of it. Well, I imagine it would have been long for the training too. Did you do that all in one day or did you end up staying overnight in Salt Lake City to make sure that you could attend all the training? I did. I did. I got a motel in Salt Lake City so that I could be at the training. And that was from about, I think it was eight in the morning until about 11. And then, of course, I, it was an easy drive home from there. Yeah, I can imagine. So what was your initial thought when you thought, okay, transportation um, village? Was that something you were excited about? Or were you still lamenting that your initial role had been taken away from a computer glitch? Oh, quite the opposite. Um, transportation working directly with the athletes. First of all, you're at the Olympics. Doesn't matter what you do, you're at the Olympics. <laughs> and second of all, uh, you'd be working in the village with the athletes. Enough said. <laughs> I was just looking forward to that opportunity. And of course, as everybody who's ever been involved with the Olympics knows that the number one sport at the games is actually pin trading. And being in the village was going to be real good for that. <laughs> I imagine you got some really, really great pins. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the pin trading? Well, my sister and I were pretty hardcore pin trading. In fact, my uniform hat, I had three baseball caps and they were covered, but she, my sister did way better than I did. She weighed one of her caps that weighed seven pounds <laughs> because of all the pins on there. But the pins is a great way when you're in the village and with other people outside in the Salt Lake City area to engage in a conversation um, and trading. And of course, there are people who are commercial traders, but the better part is to trade with the athletes. Now, the one, one of my fondest recollections of Salt Lake City was my sister and I were in the village one day and we met two young athletes from the Russian Federation. And we got, they saw our pens and they wanted to trade. And they noticed that I had this one picture, it had the building on it and it had the date of 9-11. And the one athlete wasn't familiar with that pen, but his friend was, and he, his friend had told him that is the 9-11 when the World Trade Center towers went down. They had to have those pens. And since we were staying in, up at Ogden Air Force, at Hill Air Force Base in Ogden, there was a special vendor at the, at the base exchange that was selling souvenir pins. And we would get several, I think we would probably buy five or six a day. And we had them and we were the only ones that did. And the athletes got to know us that the reaction that those pins were so sought after by the athlete, I think says a lot for the standing of people in the world the way they cared.
That's a fantastic story. Um, I want to come backtrack just a little bit. You you mentioned in passing there that you were staying at Hill Air Force Base. So was that your accommodation during games time? You you yes, you ended it, up staying there. Yes, actually, the where I lived in Fallon is the home of the Navy Top Gun School. So I was able to through their morale, welfare, and recreation, get a 16-foot travel trailer. And I pulled that trailer over to Utah, and I had already made arrangements with Hill Air Force Base on one of my visits up there to get a lodging spot at their, um, fam, what they call a fam camp. Uh, it's a visiting RV park for base visitors. And so we parked the trailer up there at Hill, and it worked out pretty great. That's awesome. You stayed in a trailer during the games. I think that's so cool. One question I have about all this back and forth with Nevada. Sometimes the weather can get a little bit dicey, you know, and particularly taking I-80 from Reno through the vast expanse of Nevada, going over some mountain passes and whatnot. So did you run into any kind of weather issues when you were traveling or were you blessed to have nice weather every time you had to come to Salt Lake for a, a training or uniforms or working the games? Well, as anybody who was in Salt Lake City for the games found out, the weather got warm. Um, in some cases, I, the athletes may not have been quite so happy because it's, it's hard to have an outdoor skiing event when the snow is soft and there's not a lot of new snow. But for everyone else, the warm weather was you know it was comfortable half the time we didn't even have to wear our uniform parkas just wear the the flea shirt and the vest and all that we were given and that was plenty warm so i lucked out that i did not have any bad weather to go to and from the games and salt lake city you know they had these pictures up on the buildings that the one that was really impressive was the, the skater and there must have been a 25-story building but when you're coming in from the west side and you see these pictures and it's a beautiful sunny day, it was fantastic. I can imagine. Well, it sounds to me like it was also fantastic because if I recall correctly, you said your sister was volunteering as well. So it got to become a family affair. Yes, it did. And even one more jog to the left from there. Um, Salt Lake, they were so good to us volunteers, but there was actually a one year later reunion party that my sister and I went back to. My mother came with us. My mother was um, 74 at the time and she came with us and it was on her birthday. And so that was just a treat that you would never have been able to plan something like that. I mean, they had the, they had fireworks, they had the Mormon Tabernacle choir, they had a big, get together they had a flag that all the volunteers were signing and so it was just it was just a cap to a really fantastic event and that we were able to all three of the share it one of the things I, I think that's fantastic now did your husband come out here as well or was he busy working he well um let's see he's retired now so the the unclassified version of what he did was he was a image satellite imagery collector and had, had had a little bit of participation in preparatory events for the games since the games were so soon after 9-11. Uh, there was a need for some of his services. So he remotely had a small part, but I had two, I have two daughters who were in high school at the time. So he was here with them 
and they were filling in for me as instructors at my Taekwondo school. So I, I was there by myself. He would like to do an Olympics for me. We tried to get a later one at Vancouver, but we didn't get on staff, but we're still hoping. All right. You just said Taekwondo school. You have a Taekwondo school? I did. I did. Uh, I retired a few years ago, but I, I did run a, a school on the Navy base in Fallon for several years. About 16 years, actually. So on top of everything else you do, you also do Taekwondo? Yes, sir. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right. I want to come back now to um, the lead up to the games. You mentioned the post-game celebration one year afterwards. Uh, there were a couple of things that the organizing committee did for volunteers. One of those was they invited volunteers to come to the dress rehearsal of the ceremonies. Did you have an opportunity to come to the dress rehearsal of the opening ceremony? Yes, I did. Um, we weren't going to miss that because, like I said, I had been to Atlanta and the dress rehearsal, they get all the volunteers and it's just like the real opening ceremonies, everything, the performers and everything except for the March of Athletes. So we did go to the opening ceremony. We had tickets and we had met some other volunteers that they were, we were all going to sit together. It was somewhat cold that night. Uh, and the rehearsal is three to four hours long. And we had our first duty at four o'clock in the morning in the Olympic Village. So we didn't get to stay quite through the very end when they did the dinosaur for the um, ceremonies. But the opening ceremonies, every was, everybody was there and they all told how, okay, when we get to this point, reach on your seat and hold up these cards for color that's going to make the picture. And then uh, all the kids with their little lanterns were going to come down the stairway and it said at one point we were supposed to do like a big arena waves and they said okay when you're lead down here at this section they will kind of uh, guide you say okay everybody stand up everybody pull the placard or there was a whole bag of I guess like lights or streamers or whatever and they said when we get this point look at your section leader and they will tell you to pull out the thing and hold up the card or the streamer whatever was necessary for the participants in the stands part of the opening ceremonies well it sounds like you had a great time there at the opening ceremony dress rehearsal but as you mentioned, you had to get up at four o'clock in the morning. No, we to had get to be to in the village at four o'clock. You had to be in, in the village at four o'clock <laughs> in the morning. So you had to get up even earlier. So so that actually takes me to a question for you. What was a day in the life of a Salt Lake 2002 volunteer like for you, Jill? What was your kind of daily routine during the games? Well, most of my shifts were the 4 a.m. My sister and I, for the most part, had the same shift. So we would have to get up about 2.30 in the morning because Hill Air Force Base is about 45 minutes north of Salt Lake City. And of course, we had to go in and get ready and had to make a, a dash to the heated, the restroom and amenities building on the air base so that we had hot showers and a warm building. And so we'd get ready and we'd, we'd drive down through town and go up to the Olympic Village. And then we'd have to go through security which would take a little bit of time. They had a special parking lot for us at the Merrill Engineering Building on the University of Utah campus. And then we'd ride the bus up. We'd go through security. 
Then they take us to the volunteer check-in. They had a building uh, where we would check in, sign in, get our little allotment of Wahoo crackers that everybody makes jokes about, but we loved them. And we would then go from there through the Olympic Village out to the transportation plaza. And they would have given us our assignment saying, today you're going to be going to Snow Basin or out to the biathlon at Soldier Hollow or down to the hockey games or whatever. They would tell us what our assignment would be. So we would go to that section of the plaza and they had these 14 passenger vans that we'd been trained on. And when athletes would come or officials, coaches, they would come and say, okay, here's your van. And then at one point they would say, okay, your van is 80 to hundred percent full. They'd tap on the door, say you're clear to go. So we would uh, call into dispatch center with our van number and saying, we're transporting you know, athletes to uh, the Utah Olympic Oval or to the Ski Bob Hill. We would take the athletes to the venue and then we'd, we would usually stay on site for up to an hour to catch athletes that needed to come back to the village. And once our van was full then, then we'd drive back to the village, go back through security and you know, discharge the athletes and wait to see if we needed to make a second run or third run. And most of our shifts were about six hour shifts. So we were either in transit to and from the venues, or we were waiting there just for the athletes and Olympic personnel. And that's what we did. And we had a real good time um, with, with doing that. And there were some interesting stories along that route too. <laughs> well, I want to get into those stories in just a moment, but before we do, I mean, you're working these shifts. Did you get a break? Did you get to, did you get a chance to get a bite to eat aside from having your little bag of wahoos? <laughs> yes, we did. Actually, um, they had, there was an, I don't know how you call it, a big tent complex in the village, just below the transportation plaza. It was for the athletes, their dining hall, but the volunteers, they had a McDonald's in there and we were allowed in and pick up food but we couldn't stay and eat in the complex we could just go and pick it up so we would say hey i'm going down to the tent because who wants what or you just go down there and say hey give me eight cheeseburgers and three fish sandwiches and get a bag and then we'd take it up to the plaza hey i got hamburgers and fish there. you know who wants one so we could get meals um we were allowed one meal a day and then when we first came in, or as we're getting off shift, depending, we would get in the actual volunteers dining hall, we, we would get a hot breakfast or a hot lunch or dinner, depending on our shift. So we had the option both ways. nice thing about getting those mcdonald's vouchers at least you didn't have to eat hot dogs every single day like some of us were eating hot dogs non-stop and they were good those uh, certified angus beef hot dogs were great but after a little while i was wanting something else all right so that's cool giving us a little sense of the food there so that's fantastic let's start diving into some of those stories that you were that, you, that you've got on your list to tell us about <laughs> well one of the first ones is i had already driven to snow basin one or two days but my sister hadn't so she was going to, they were going to have her ride with me just to see the route up to Snow Basin. 
And one of the members in our band was the chef de keep of the German ski team. And German are all stranded. And he said, well, my athletes are staying in this little hotel inn or something close to Snow Basin. They weren't staying in the village. I said, could you, you know, swing through the village? We need to pick up some, I need to drop information or something. So I speak a little German. And I'm trying to tell this very fine gentleman that we were told, you know, we do not go off our route. If we vary off our route, then black bands will come up inside to find out if there's trouble. This is part of the Secret Service thing. So I'm telling this German official, nine, nine, this is for both, and we were not allowed to. And he says, oh, no, 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 it, it's okay. It's okay. You can detour. And we kept this running conversation, me with my German and my sister's in the front seat just laughing at me, snickering at me, because I'm trying to tell this guy very politely, we're not allowed to detour from our route. And he's insisting that we do. And I was very staunch about it. I said, no, I will not detour. it. Unfortunately, I do not have the authority to do that. So it was an um, interesting trip. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not detour. He was, well, he was he- laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, were there any situations where you or a colleague got lost getting to a venue? Uh, well, not lost per se, but I did slightly deviate from the route to Soldier Hollow one day because we had to make a right turn past this little town. And I kind of got. The route map that we were given said you take this one road, and I took I think I took one turn short. So I ended up about four blocks square off my route um, and had to get back on course. No, I never saw the black bands. My sister said she did, but I never saw the black bands. But they told us if we get really off the route or time lag that we would could expect them. But I never got lost, per se, because they gave us this inch-thick map book and they were pretty good so we we could go right to the venues and nowadays they've got gps right so it's yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to get around but um let's come back to those athletes you talked about the germans and driving them around you talked about the russians and the experience that you had with the pin trading a 911 uh i'm assuming that you got to shuttle around athletes from all different kinds of countries so what were some of what were some of the other memorable experiences you had with the athletes from around the world? Wow. Well, I'm a language student. Uh, primarily, I like Russian. So the games was a great time for me to practice my Russian. But I tried to at least would say hello, you know, a greeting to anybody, any athlete. So if I saw they come in and they had uh, China on their uniforms and I ni hao, which is hello in Chinese. Or uh, German Guten Morgen, Spanish Buenos Dias, you know, whatever I could at least say hi to the different athletes. And when we we were told as drivers that you don't interfere with the athletes if they're talking with the coaches or if they're sleeping, but when we got back, there might be three or four vans waiting to go through security, and everybody had to have their credentials ready to show through security. And it was usually a 15 to 20 minute wait. 
Well, my husband had suggested me that I take this little spiral five by seven notebook, which I had with me. And I would just ask them, I said, I have a guest book if anybody would like to sign it. And of course, they all had a great time passing it around and they'd write uh, just little pictograms and they just write in their initials or a short story. And one of them happened to be, and I think I told you this in the preparatory email, one of them happened to be an Armenian doctor. And we were discussing, he had also been Atlanta, and I had met a gentleman in Atlanta from the Tajikistan Equestrian Federation. Big man, very nice. And this doctor told me, oh, yes, I remember talking with him. He passed away three years ago, but when I talked to him, he had remembered you from the Western store at the games. And so he wrote a whole page in my little guest book recalling our um, acquaintances and memories of the Atlanta games. And I thought that was pretty special. And I would get uh, autographs, a little stories, a little drawings. And I have 21 pages of athletes, coaches, chef bequeath, IOC members, just all you know, sorts of people from the games. So it's kind of a unique souvenir. Well, it's super cool. I, I what a what a great little personal legacy of the games to have that that book signed and written in by so many different athletes and team officials and IOC members. I think that's just absolutely fascinating. It was it's pretty good. I added a few more signatures pages at the uh, one year um, daytime, the the party down there at the. Um, it was like, I don't know what you'd call it. It was kind of like an amphitheater of several businesses. And one of the things I will say that I think sets Salt Lake apart from the other games or anything that people have done, Salt Lake at this downtown market center, they made this big marble wall. It kind of reminds you of the Vietnam Memorial. And they had this marble wall engraved with all the names of the volunteers. I luckily, since my last name begins with an A, mine was in the third section. It was right by the stairs. And I was able to do the thing like they do at the Vietnam World by putting a paper over and rubbing a pencil across it and getting an imprint of the name on this wall. But that was just over and above what anyone would ever be expected to, re to be remembered that way with this marble wall. It was just unbelievable. I think that's fascinating. And yes, it is advantageous, I think, at times to have your surname start with the letter A. Full disclosure here, my, my wife's maiden name is also Andrews. There might actually be a distant relation there. I don't know, but uh, um, uh, she has the, she shares the same uh, maiden or surname as you. Uh, her maiden name is Andrews. But um, uh, very, very exciting. What about the the work with the other volunteers on your team, you know, the, so you, you, you're working there at the athlete village and there are other volunteers working there, you know, how is that like getting to know some of the other volunteers that were working there and kind of building that camaraderie of volunteerism? Oh, it's, it's great because you, you compare your experiences, just where you're from, talk to people, because there were times that we would have a 15 to 20 minute break in between and we'd just be standing by our vans. And we'd talk to the other drivers and 
find out a little about them. And of course, in some cases, we'd make arrangements uh, with some of, if we go to one of the sites and some of the people that were working like the um, ushers and ticket takers, security people at the venues, well, then we'd start, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm kind of collecting uniforms. So after games, I'll swap one of my uniform shirts for one of yours or a vest or something and kind of, you know, as a neat souvenir and different things that way. And, um, of course, I had a, a volunteer at the security at the ice arena also wanted one of my towers 9-11 pins. And I wasn't going out to the ice arena that day, but I sent it. And I said specifically, I gave it to the driver who was going out there, said, this is for so-and-so who will meet you out at the drop-off point. This is her pen. And I even let the dispatch center know that there was a pen on that van traveling to go to a security person at the ICE uh, venue. So we got along with uh, some of the other people and compared our jobs to them. We did some pen trading. Um, had a lot of good relationships with uh, the people at the various venues. That's fantastic. Did you get the chance to see any of the competitions or were you just in volunteer work mode the entire time you were here? Well, my sister and I had three days off and one day we went skiing up at Snow Basin and it was the day of the women's downhill. And we were actually able to ski right to the edge of the course and see him come over a jump and and then go down to the bottom at the runout area at the bottom of the hill. So we got to see that part of it. Um, that's about the only film we did since we were driving. But the days off, we were able to, you know, ski at the slopes and uh, see some of that. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Now, before we get to our quote unquote goosebump moment, which is kind of the really inspirational thing, are there any other fun or interesting stories on your list that you want to share? Well, yeah. Um, as you know, there was there was one plaza which was specifically for the athletes to go to and from the venues, and they had another down for another location in the village. They had a transportation center for like press and people like that well i had come in early one day i had a late morning shift but my sister had the 4 a.m and i had gone in with her so about eight o'clock in the morning this lady came out she's very harried and going does anyone speak russian we have an armenian that has come to the wrong plaza and we don't know how to help him i said yes i speak russian so I was able to talk to the man, determine where he needed to go, personally left the athlete transportation plaza back through the village, down the quadrangle on the university, all the way down to the press departure point, and was able to get him on his bus downtown. So my Russian language, I mean, when I told him they spoke, he's just like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you please help us back? So I was able to have a unique experience with the uh, press man from Armenia, trying to get him where he needed to be and was able to help out that way. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Uh, it's funny, just yesterday I was doing a podcast with a gentleman who 
was a Russian speaker and was in charge of language services at Soldier Hollow, who had a similar experience where there was an urgent need and there, the interpreters were not there and he had to step in and, and, and fill in with the Russian. So that's really, really great. Any other things on your list before we get to our final goosebump moment? Ah, there was just so many wonderful memories. I mean, the entertainment that they had in the village, they had one day they had like taiko drummers doing a performance out there and just meeting with the athletes, talking with them, trading pins, uh, whatever we could do, you know, like that. Just it was just three weeks of great memories. I guess the only memory was bad was the day it was over. Yeah, that is a it's, been a, doing it's a melancholy time. feeling, right? When that event when that event ends, yeah, you've been three weeks of this high, like yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh, it's done. Now I have to drive back home. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of hard. So I assume then that uh, you were not volunteering for the Paralympic Games, just the Olympic Games. Just the Olympic Games. Um, three weeks was kind of a long time to be away from home and school and family so um they were satisfied they had several people and i had asked about that and they said no we have enough volunteers for the paralympic games if you do the three weeks at the main games that'll be more than enough time and so it was just the just the regular olympic so as you survey that three-week time period what was your goosebump moment as a volunteer well like i said what you you couldn't help but have goosebumps when you're driving east and you see those pictures on the building, that skater, there were four big pictures that you could see for about 40 miles. And that's kind of an awe-inspiring thing. But when you just, you walk into the village, go, here I am. Um, you're wearing the uniform. You're out there engaging the athletes and all. It's just one of those, wow, <laughs> here I am. And then just all the things that happened during the occasion. My sister and I would come home at the end of the day going, I saw. Todd Eldridge in the plaza. Well, I got the Chinese pen. Well, I saw this person. I got my picture taken with this one. We tried to see who could kind of get the most uh, oomph for the day. And she got to hold a gold medal. So I, I think she got me on that day. But um, we got our pictures taken with some of the U.S. athletes. So that was pretty cool, too. Oh, that's fantastic. It sounds magical. Give us your favorite pin. Well, I have, for me, um, I have a thing that I will trade any pin except the very first pin I get at a game. And in this case, I was um, hosting at the on the quadrangle for the IOC members. People go downtown and I had an IOC, an Olympic committee member from Kenya. I imagine he must have had a good time in the cold. But he gave me my first pin of the Salt Lake Games. And I will not trade that pin. And every other, I had another one that I would trade. And some people trade because they want pins have different values. I just trade for the fun of it. And I had a delegation pen from, I believe it was Korea. And anyway, I was uh, over at the Utah airport the night the professional hockey players were coming in. And there was a commercial pen trader and he had his rolling bag of display case and he saw that pin and he asked me if I'd trade. I said, yeah, what you got? And he told his assistant, where is that pin? 
And he looked around. They finally pulled out this two-inch tall. It's from Thailand. And most of their pens are only like a half an inch tall. This one was two inches tall of white elephant with the jewel crown with the Olympic rings underneath it. And he traded for that pen. He had to have that one in. I was happy to make the trade. So, yeah, it was great. Um, I came home with, I think, 78 pins. Wow, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, this has been a really joyful conversation for me, Jill. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of wrap us up. Why don't you just kind of, in a nutshell, tell us what volunteering for the Salt Lake 2002 games meant to you? It was a chance to do something that not everybody gets to do. Luckily, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that was the second time in my life because I was lucky enough to do one earlier. But you're there, you are representing your country and welcoming all these athletes. You interact with people from around the world. You meet people from different backgrounds, uh, different situations, officials, competitors, uh, everything. All the people, just everybody is pretty much having a good time. A lot of positive vibes. Um, you're doing something that needs to be done. Everybody thinks you're just a driver. Well, yeah, but if the athletes can't get to the venues, they don't compete. They don't compete. They don't win medals, blah, blah, blah. So you're filling an important role at an at a international high-level event, and you just feel like you're something that's big, and it can't do it without you. Yeah, they're, the volunteers are absolutely essential. I totally 100% agree. And I really appreciate you volunteering your time to work on these games. Now, if other volunteers from Salt Lake 2002, if they wanted to share memories of those games with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, email me. I'm on Facebook or you can email me. Um That'd be fine if someone wants to call me and say, hey, I was a volunteer and I'd do it too. But probably the best thing would be to email me. Yeah. And I can, I can just put it on the, I, I can put it on the notes, the show notes. Uh, so sure. if people want to connect with yeah. you, they can just see the email address there. I have, I have talked to some of the other volunteers and my sister and I have both uh, talked to some of the people we met occasionally here and there afterwards. Um, and like I saw your email and I reached out to you. And I really appreciate you doing that very much. And who knows, maybe there will be some kind of 20 year celebration uh, next year would, for the Salt Lake 2002 games. Oh God, is, is it 20 years already next year? Yes, wow. it'll be 20 years. I know it's I hard to, to believe. I went to the 10 year and it went to the one year. And um, I just don't think Salt Lake could do any more than they already have done for the volunteers. But it'd be fun to see them try because <laughs> they were so good to us. Well, the, the culture of it persists. Last week I was in the grocery store and I saw someone wearing their volunteer jacket in the store. And uh, so people are still wearing the uniform and they still love the Olympic Games here. And I appreciate you uh, very much coming on and contributing to our little tapestry of memories, as I call it, of the Salt Lake 2002 Games. And hopefully we'll get more of your colleagues that also volunteer in the Games to share their stories as well. Sure. I'll get a hold of my sister and sit and give her your contact and she would probably have stories to tell you too. Uh, and we both wear our uniforms proudly. I mean, that's my favorite coat is my Salt Lake Olympic jacket. And I love that. 
Uh, yeah, be more than happy to have her on. Thank you so much. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll talk with you again soon. Jill, thank you so much. You are very well welcome.